Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Cynthia Makunganya. Cynthia is the head of Malawi operations for a startup called Yellow, which is paving its way to success in the renewable energy space in Africa. Having recently celebrated their 100,000 solar home system connections, Yellow is a digital retailer that distributes solar and other life-changing products to people in rural areas currently in Malawi and Uganda. Cynthia's purpose is to inspire, support, and motivate all team players in all country operations to achieve positive outcomes from setting targets using digital tools and resources and the influence of culture. She currently manages a team of 54 in-country staff and roughly 800 sales agents. Her ability to work with a diverse group of people, passion for ending energy poverty, and continuous learning, among other things, is what led her to pursue a career in the clean and renewable energy space. She has accumulated over seven years' worth of work and entrepreneurial experience in diverse sectors, including the renewable energy, banking, and the NGO sectors, with growing experience in farming and packaging industries. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the Everyday Leader Podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here as well. Amazing. So we uh, crossed paths back in Malawi, uh, where you're based mm -hmm. with Yellow and doing some incredible things with solar light distribution and sales uh, across mm -hmm. Malawi and other countries. So really eager to dive into your experience there uh, and then the teams and operations that you've built. Uh, but, but, but before we do that, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit early on in your career where you, you know, first developed the leadership uh, capabilities and, and interest in growing your career. Um, and so I, I usually ask guests just to share maybe a leadership origin story uh, where you first kind of identified yourself as as being a leader and, and uh, looking to pursue big things and, and pursue an ambitious career. The very first time I probably got interested in leading a team of any size was um, during my university days. I studied at the University of Western Cape in Cape Town, and I was appointed the social events director for the International Students Organization. Um, one particular event that stood out was the Africa Day, where we had to collaborate with um, students from different African nations. Uh, and when I say, when I speak of collaboration, I mean making sure that I'm in touch with their leaders and they organized on their end to have all these booths set up um, on campus for, for the event on the day, on Africa Day. It was quite a tricky position to be in because of all the demands that each country would make and the few resources that were at our disposal as, the, as an international students organization, but we somehow made it work. And the fact that we were still able to have the event, I was able to collaborate with people of different backgrounds with all sorts of um, you know, challenges coming in place, got me interested in um, pursuing anything that had to do with leadership um, of large teams to be specific, large diverse teams. The second um, situation that probably got me more interested as well was in 2017. So we're fast forwarding post university days after I graduated. I was interning for an international NGO. I was their programs intern. Um, and I think it might have been in the first, if not second week after joining that I was tasked with conducting a training 
um, on topics I was not highly knowledgeable on. I literally just got in and all I did was to read a bunch of reports, half of which didn't make sense, but <laughs> I was still able to like catch up on what the project had achieved so far. And so I got into that training room and basically winged it. Um, I think the only thing I had going for me in there was the confidence and the support of my then manager who would jump in whenever he saw that I was not able to elaborate on certain topics. So that was quite an interesting experience. But either way, instead of you know backing down and being scared about leading teams, especially when you're that um, ill-prepared, I was quite curious about um, being a leader and what it entails to be a leader in different settings. So I've, ex I've explained two settings here. One, during my university, day, university days and the other post-university. So just as I was entering the corporate world. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And um, you got me thinking of, of the pattern in life in which uh, society and the, the institutions that we go through, like school and, and jobs, you, you there's this flow where, like in college, you end up being... Um, uh, you know, you you are in your final year and you're a senior and you're like club president and all that stuff. And then you go out to the real world and you become the intern and you're like at the bottom of the rung uh, again. And, and in life that happens uh, several times. So uh, it's quite fascinating how it's almost like a check and balance where, you know, life puts you up and then it kind of uh, cuts you back down as almost as a humbling uh, uh, tool. Um, at least that's what has been my uh, experience. And so I'm curious uh, how you navigated that journey because you are from Malawi and then went to university down in Cape Town. And, and uh, it sounds like you uh, had uh, a great experience there and you had leadership opportunities to start to kind of gain confidence. And then you moved back to Malawi and had some initial uh, internship positions. How did you then kind of regain that momentum to then enter into you know more senior roles? Um, that's a good question, Chris. And you just actually took me through a stroll down memory lane of those transitions from being in school and having these positions and then in the real world where you're humbled. Um, I think what really helped me was just having an attitude of I haven't quite reached there yet and I have a lot to learn and therefore I mustn't assume that if I have what we might call any seemingly important or senior roles, then I have, you know, reached like the peak of my career, far from it. So I was, um, because of the way I understand how the uh, Malawian economy works, to be specific, I knew that um, just because, you know, I studied abroad does not automatically translate into some senior role. And likewise, neither does it mean that I will, you know, start way at the bottom of the ladder. But either way, I must be flexible to just jump onto opportunities as and when they come through and fully embrace them. So if you look at being an intern, it was actually one of my most favorite jobs. It was my first job um, straight out of college, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and what I did was to spend as much time as possible learning from those who are much senior to me. So I remember one time requesting the audience of the country, country director, and she was quite stunned. She thought that maybe there was trouble and because nobody ever really you know, does that. 
And so she did, you know, sit with me and we had a very nice chat about career and, you know, more personal things as well. And she gave me really good advice, which I still hold on to. And, and yeah, so I think it's really just about the attitude and how you approach things in life as and when they come through and being flexible enough to adapt to ever-changing environments and situations. Amazing. And so how did you uh, come about the opportunity with Yellow? <laughs> um, I was, at the time, looking to leave my job. I was working in a bank and I don't think I was the right, it was the right cultural fit for me and vice versa. I was not enjoying it and I thought that there was no room for growth and there was no clear career path. And so I, I began job hunting again and I came across an advert from Yellow that didn't really speak much to as to what I would actually be doing here. The, the role actually was generalist, something you never really see in Malawian vacancies um, wherever they posted. And so I, I just tried my luck, I guess. I, that's how desperate I was to leave my job then. I just wanted to jump on any and every opportunity that was not where I was at the time. I interviewed and they had a very quick response time because within 24 hours, I took my aptitude test. I got my feedback and I managed to schedule an interview. Luckily I passed, so that was good. And yeah, that's when I came across them and eventually they sent me an offer and I accepted. And what? And tell us a little bit more about Yellow. What is Yellow's mission and, and what are the types of uh, activities it does? Okay, so Yellow is a digital retailing company. Um, our main focus is primarily on the last mile distribution of life-changing products, uh, solar home system, Paygo solar home systems in this case. Uh, we began operating in Malawi in 2018, and then in 2020, we went further east. We went to East Africa and Uganda to open our second country operation, and we've been working in these two countries since then. At the moment, uh, my role in Yellow is, specifically Yellow Malawi, is um, I'm the head of operations there. Our operation has over 50 staff, 800 plus agents and counting, and we've managed to connect 130,000 households to clean, safe energy um, across Malawi and counting. So, I mean, that translates to about 650,000 people who are not using candles, lanterns, or any other such dangerous alternatives, alternative products to lighting. It actually feels nice to speak about these dashboard statistics, but I think what feels even great is to speak of the tangible impact we're having on the ground. So with, you know, I've already spoken of the dangerous alternatives to lighting, such as candles. You leave, you forget to turn that off, sets the house on fire. Um, you know, people have been reported um, having, I mean, deaths have been reported that were fire-related. Uh, if we speak of lung cancer and all those type of things, we are slowly but surely reducing those risks if you think of um, our agents who are now earning on a weekly basis, so they have a regular, consistent source of income and how their lives are improving on a daily basis, that you know makes me more excited about the work that we're doing. We, have, we are expanding um, our products as well from the solar home systems into other things like solar powered TVs. And we're also currently doing lockup with smartphones. So, um, because we believe that the first point of act, um, well, the first pain point that we're trying to address here is obviously the lack of access to energy. In all of Africa, that's 
roughly 600 million people who don't have access access in Malawi with a population of about 18 million, only 11% have access to electricity. And so we have come in to fill that gap. And after filling that gap of lack of access to energy, we want to open up the world to our customers. And this is through access to information. And I guess the smartphones are a good point um, to start doing that for them. Amazing. Uh, it reminds me of my time uh, when I was leading the One Acre Fund team in Malawi. And you're so right that uh, you know, you spend a lot of time looking at dashboards and you know Google Sheets and looking at numbers and KPIs. But when you're in this type of operational field role, you also get the incredible opportunity on a regular basis, usually on a daily mm -hmm. or even weekly basis to go and visit customers and hear from them and see from them directly the mm -hmm. impact that your products are having. Uh, so that's very true. And I had a similar experience. And speaking about smartphones, I remember having many different focus groups with groups of, of rural farmers and asking them, you know, what would they want to buy from us on credit? And, you know, obviously the seed and fertilizer uh, and solar lights that we were also selling uh, in, in the districts that we were active in uh, were, were valued and, and demanded. But the you know the topics of bicycles and smartphones yeah. also came up. I remember hearing in one village everyone wanted blackberries, and I was like, what? <laughs> "What's wrong with iPhones?" <laughs> so they were uh, quite popular back in the day. In any case, so understandably yeah. so. <laughs> Um, so I definitely uh, enjoyed that, and, and uh, you know I, I tried to push for more and more products because ultimately mm -hmm. you're trying to uh, support uh, families, really households, to yeah. uh, continually improve uh, their their living and help them achieve uh, their own definition of um, kind of uh, the Malawian dream, you could say. Uh, yeah. And so, really happy to hear that you're having such uh, a rewarding uh, career at Yellow uh, so far. And I want to dig a little bit more into uh, how you've evolved in, from the initial role that you signed up for uh, mm -hmm. as, as a generalist, uh, as you had said, into yeah. kind of running the, the Malawi uh, operations. And you mentioned also playing uh, a significant role in setting up another country operations as well. How did you kind of hit the ground running when you were first hired into that role to kind of rapidly rise? So I joined at a time when Yellow was still quite young. I think it was about six months at the time, six months operating in Malawi. There was only one other person um, who was part of the staff, and he was more on the technical si side. That's where his strengths um, lay at the time. And so I came in more so on the business development side. So that made us like two staff members and only six agents at the time. I think I explained earlier on that we're now over 70, I think, um, staff and over 900 agents in between Malawi and Uganda, with at least 800 being in Malawi. So the transition really was just, um, I think, first and foremost, understanding that there are no structures in place and we need to build those. If we're going to build a firm which endures, which is one of our goals as part of our mission, we want to build a firm which endures. If we're going to do that, we need to make sure that we have set the right foundations and we have, this, we have set the right structures in place. So a lot of time was invested in things such as 
trainings for the agents, for the teams in things such as laying down our different company policies, in things such as how we can continue to support our agents who are contracted. They, were, they are not uh, permanent employees of the company, but still more how we can get them to buy into the vision of the company and so buy into the vision of the company and um, work to meet the targets that we've set out as a company. Um, the other goal that we have, as two goals actually that we have as a company, apart from if building a firm which endures, is to make life better for our customers and to enable our people to lead great lives. So if we're gonna achieve these things, we also needed to make sure that we have stellar customer care. So if you look at uh, back then, customer care meant me and a handset calling our customers and just, you know, trying to figure things out. But we have, you know, over time evolved from that to having a full-blown call center across the country. And, you know, our call center team operates from the three regions. And, and we're now operating, you know, Monday to Sunday. We have people taking shifts and that enables us to have you know, good customer service and to serve our customers better. If we're going to achieve um, these objectives, we also needed to make sure that we're recruiting the right people to help us build these things. But most importantly, I think it's one thing to get a talented team. It's another to get the team to buy into what you're doing. So a lot of my time as well, personally, at Yellow was spent trying to get everybody to buy into the company's vision. Um, to buy into long-term thinking, to buy into the incentives we've you know, put in place. So maybe just for context, when I speak of incentives, um, we gamified the business. So if you look at how our agents are earning, they have set, we set targets for them for their sales, for their collections aspect of their portfolio, for how they handle the after sales tasks. You know, we, 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 depending on the agent's portfolio size, we have targets such as you need to make sure that you have completed an after-sales task within X number of days. It's shorter for those with a small, small, smaller portfolio and slightly longer for those with a larger portfolio. Likewise, with the team, we codified all the tasks that are completed within the business. Everything from um, our call center phone calls to um, our agent support or our customer support to our delivery trips when we are moving stock from our warehouse to the agents. Um, yeah, pretty much everything really. Uh, even to team buildings, those everything has been codified and all of that enables us to keep track of how, um, to keep track of the work that we're doing, to be able to reward um, output and also to make sure that we are measuring performance across the board. So yeah, I think really to just sort of circle back to your question, the transition has really just been about what are the, what are the requirements of the business in this moment that will help push us to the next level and how best can we get it done? And then just diving into all of that. We, we often set very ambitious goals. Um, we don't always hit them. Sometimes we do, and we're very happy when we do, of course. But, you know, that type of thinking and that type of um, work ethic is really what has gotten us to where we're at right now. Um, lots of teamwork as well, obviously. I don't think there's a single task that is performed independent of any teamwork within the company. At least I can't think of any um, immediately. So, that is really how the transition has gone. Just putting out fires, understanding what needs to get done in the interim, 
and thinking long term and how we can build now for the long term. Amazing. Uh, you know, it, it definitely reminded me of, of the times uh, building out some of the teams uh, that I've been a part of in the past and needing to really build systems from the ground up uh, to prepare for a large numbers like the ones you've mentioned in terms of the, the number of team members, the number of agents, the number of, of customers. Um, and so you you indicated you're a very ambitious team and you have you know, stretch targets that you aim for, which obviously uh, creates a culture of um, needing to get creative to take risks and be very strategic and intentional about the strategies uh, that you that you go with. Um, do you have examples uh, of a specific kind of bold bet that you had to, to make either as the leader or as, as a team together? Just trying to think of a proper example, like literally every day, <laughs> every day is a, okay. All our recruitment is done online, both for the agents and the team, but I'll speak specifically for the agent training. We have an eight stage recruitment process where, you know, from stage one, we're collecting just their basic details, name, location, and all those kind of things. And over time, we've refined that. This one in particular, I worked a lot with our CEO, Mike, Mike Hank, um, at the time. And then over time, we've been refining it with other team members who joined as well. But, you know, it moved from just, uh, I think, it, I forgot how many stages were there before, but then we refined it to an eight-stage process where at each stage, we are getting different types of feedback. So first stage, basic details second stage they are taking a test i had to figure out you know the content that they will be tested on and how exactly we're going to go about it and set up that um, structure the third one was the third stage rather is when they have to submit their location so that you know when, when they do that it helps us map out the different routes that we can use when we are completing delivery trips so we're now looking further ahead into the future for if and when we contract these agents. The fourth round is the interview stage. So just coming up with the criteria, something that's seemingly simple, but really relevant to the process. Coming up with the criteria that, you know, we're looking for in people who will become agents. The fifth round, we're gathering them into cohorts. Um, we thought this is much more wise than just saying, well, we have 20 people who've passed the interviews, let's train them. We said, let's be a little more strategic than that and group them according to in cohorts where we're looking at things such as where do we, which area is high priority right now for us to get agents? Um, where do we need to replace maybe off-boarded agents? All those kind of things. In the sixth round, they're coming through for training and it's usually a one day training, a full day's training at any of our offices in the three regions. And sometimes we have outbound trainings as well. Well, at least uh, pre-pandemic times in any case. And after that, they have to go through their probation period. We had to set the criteria there as well, the minimum expected targets um, during their probation stage. And thereafter, they become contracted and we begin shipping more products to them so that they can continue to sell um, within their communities. So that entire process took quite a lot of uh, thought, um, I think, obviously. and. Also, the build itself, the tech behind it, um, boiling all the way down to how we advertise it and how we even engage with, with uh, applicants 
specifically on our social media as well. I remember in the early days, we even created WhatsApp groups that they could join if they have, if candidates have questions and they need any type of help and support. Because as you know, um, internet connectivity is not um, particularly excellent in Malawi. And so there are challenges that people will face specifically in rural areas in terms of connectivity. It would cause delays in the application process. And so we had to be there to offer support um, where support could mean maybe teaching them how to use a different browser or recommending a, a different device they could use or just any type, such type of things that could help them, could help push them further in the, um, in the recruitment process. So that's one build that I can speak of. Um, it's still uh, in use now and we were able to replicate it and also adjust it to adapt to the Ugandan market as well. And so they use something that's very similar, give or take a couple of tweaks to suit the Ugandan uh, market. On that, I'd love to hear you reflect more on uh, this expansion to Uganda. In, in what ways <laughs> did that kind of new country expansion stretch you as a leader? What, what kind of made you uncomfortable and what were your, your learnings during that process? Because I imagine you were also still uh, looking after some things in Malawi while also, you know, of replicating uh, and adapting uh, the yellow model to this other market. Mm. So what I found to work for me is to treat um, everything I pursue as an adventure, something to look forward to, something exciting. I think that takes away that initial fear of I've never done this before. Um, yeah, especially that I've never done this before, or even worse, I could possibly fail at this. And as you can imagine, that's quite a lot of responsibility to take on. Um, I mean, I was 26, I think, at the time when I went to Uganda to open the, the operation there. I think, um, and for context, I only had about a month to get everything up and running. And so the fear was that I think my initial fear was in as much as I'm ready and excited to do this, what happens if I fail? So <laughs> in my planning, I made sure that whenever I needed it, I would simply ask for support. Um, before I left, we spent quite a number of months upskilling other people around me so that they could take on my responsibilities. Um, it was not going to be practical for me to be thinking of the day-to-days of Malawi whilst thinking of the future of Uganda as well. That's a lot of uh, brain space and time as well that would need to be spent. And so before I left, we spent a lot of time upskilling others and delegating the work that I do. And after I, well, headed up there, um, I think one of the primary you know, goals for me was to find a team as soon as possible because they have the, you know, they, they have the local, local knowledge, they have the experience with how things work there. I didn't know anybody in Uganda to begin with. And so it was going to be useful having that team. And once I did find that team, I think everything just sort of started falling into place. There were many challenges um, that we met, but I think because of the culture that we have set where we're able to communicate, you know, uh, on a regular basis, where we're able to state that, you know, this is not working and you, you don't have to be to blame for it, but rather we sit and we re-strategize and see the best way forward. The culture that we have in the company really is what helped 
um, through that entire process. And also this experience ta taught me that you don't need prior experience um, to pursue different opportunities. I had every reason to say no to going to Uganda because like I've mentioned, I knew nobody. I'd never set up a country operation. Even Yellow Malawi, I found it, I'm, you know, already set up. <laughs> and so there was every reason to say no and look the other way, but I thought that would be limiting my own career as well. And so I think it really did stretch me and also to just get a sense of the seriousness of um, the work that we're doing. So I've mentioned a lot of, about culture. I've mentioned how you have to have the right mindset as well, but you also need to, um, at some point, actually at every point, you need to recognize that you need to make sure you, you achieve what you've set out to achieve. So a lot of planning needs to, be, uh, needs to happen, a lot of organization. Um, you need to start thinking in systems as well, not just setting up something for now, but setting up something that will be sustainable in the future as well. So it really did push me to start thinking, you know, a lot more strategically, a lot more systematic um, about the work that I do. Wow. And, and to think you've only been at this set with Yellow for just over three years. Does it feel, does it feel yeah. more or less than three years? <laughs> Honestly, it feels like I just started last week. Um, things are changing quite fast. I, I guess it's the nature of tech startups where you blink once and everything is brand new the next morning when you wake up and head to the office. Um, I think the one thing that has remained constant, and it's good that this thing has remained constant, is the culture that we have. I'll keep touching on this, maybe because this is one of my role, roles as well um, within Yellow. So I drive performance through culture. And so it really matters that we've had certain things that have remained consistent throughout, you know, this from the start, basically. So such as um, receiving direct support from my superiors any and every other time, such as flexibility to do things the way that I feel they should be done as opposed to being dictated towards. So there's room for innovation, room for creativity, um, and therefore room for growth. And because that has remained constant over time, it's really been helpful to sort of have um, some sort of grounding um, in the work that we're doing, irrespective of every other component that changes over time. Amazing. And so looking kind of ahead, you, you've set up this operations. I imagine there's you know, so much room to continue to grow, even mm -hmm. within Malawi, in terms of the impact that Yellow can have. How do you see uh, and how do you ensure that your career continues to uh, grow as it has? Or, or, or you know, maybe you do want to put uh, the brake on a little bit and, and, and catch your breath. How do you view the next couple of years for yourself? Um, interesting question. I don't currently think, I don't think the breaks on my career are currently working, to be honest. Um, we've been able to achieve so much as a company and even from a personal perspective, I did not think I would be where I am right now. And so that just pushes me a lot more to, to say, to think and to say, what more can I do with, with my career right now and even in the future? Um, and so one of the reasons why I've you know, stuck around with Yellow is the fact that opportunities keep coming up in different you know, areas of the business. 
it's not just about going to open a new country office. I mean, even internally, you know, we're still building our system. We're still build systems. We're still building the business. There's a lot that needs to be covered and we're only getting started. And for me, that, that tells me there's a lot of opportunity now. And if we can build something great with what we have now, and I believe that that's just gonna open more opportunities um, in the future at company level and even for me as a person. Looking at my background, I'm an economist. I did not ever once dream I'd be in the renewable energy industry. And so because of joining Yellow, I've also been exposed to this industry. And I'm starting to see that we, as, as com a company in Malawi and just in Africa in general, we have barely started scratching the surface in terms of the opportunities that are available in the new renewable energy space. And so I foresee that, you know, we're, there will be many other opportunities for yellow um, as a business within the renewable energy as well, uh, sector as well, um, even for me as a person. I don't quite have my finger on what the, those opportunities do look like, but definitely something that involves a lot of innovation and creativity, um, a lot of strategy, and yeah, just continuing to replicate what we have built here in Malawi elsewhere. That's so inspiring. And, and, and just as we start to wrap up, you, you touched on the kind of uh, renewable energy sector that you have dived into. Uh, given your exposure and visibility in, into this sector, what would you say are, are some trends that you see in the, on the horizon? I'll mention, I think, just three things. The first one is that there is a major need for the sector to set up an e-waste management plan. So currently we have companies such as Yellow and many others in Malawi and across Africa that are bringing all these amazing products. They're changing lives, they're affordable, and they're bridging that gap between people in rural areas and urban areas. So specifically when we speak of access to energy. But very soon we're gonna start hearing about um, uh, what you call like, um, products being dumped all across the country. Piles of yes. unusable Piles. plastic filler lights yes. and uh, uh, panels. <laughs> exactly. And there's no place to dispose of them, you know, safely, right? And so this is definitely another area, another opportunity, as I was speaking previously, that needs to be explored. And there are a couple of, you know, international agencies that are looking at it in their own capacity, as well as looking to maybe... Uh, support companies that would be interested in an e-waste management, um, I guess, plan or building an e-waste management company that caters for this, that solves this particular problem. The second trend I would say is specifically Malawi would be the lack of support from government in accepting our sector as a contributor to rural electrification. So, you know, we find that government continues to spend money on rural rural electrification. Um, we feel that this problem is being addressed, not just by Yellow, but even our competitors. They, we are all doing our level best, um, both for, for profit companies and even NGOs. We're all doing our level best to electrify the country. Um, and we would prefer that they refocus, I mean, they redirect their focus to industrialization instead. That will create more jobs in, within the economy that will create more opportunities as well and will hopefully grow our economies. The private sector can lead us into electrifying rural areas in a more efficient manner um, than how government is, is, you know, rolling out its projects, its electrification project, projects. 
And the last one would have to be, we need to transition from women being um, end users of solar products and energy in particular, uh, energy in general, to being distributors. So as agents or even business owners. What I mean is, you will find studies will show, I don't have the statistics off my head, but studies will show that women are the primary users of energy. They use it for, you know, taking care of their families. They use it for when they're cooking and cleaning and all those things. And so they are the largest group proportion of the population that use energy. And therefore, they need to be on the forefront of the distribution of solar products, um, in my opinion. Companies, so to this effect, I think something that we have try to do is to um, incentivize women to become sales agents. It's taboo for women to be walking around, you know, with products and, you know, knocking door to door and selling to people in their homes here in Malawi. And it's, I mean, it is changing over time, but we still find that for the most part, we, there's this perception, there's a pre-existing notion that being a solar sales agent is a man's job. And so we've really gone all out, um, or at least we're trying to go all out. Um, in incentivizing, in creating awareness that this is a job that can be done by women as well. We have some female agents, top-notch agents, that you know, five-star agents. They've connected more than 500 homes in their communities to solar products, solar energy rather, and we use those as ambassadors um, when we're conducting awareness campaigns, both on social media and even when we're able to, uh, especially pre-pandemic, uh, community meetings. And this has sparked generated interest in young women especially to become sales agents and we're um, i'm happy to say we moved from having just the one female agent in 2018 to close to 200 now so again this is something that all companies irrespective of their business model must actively pursue and encourage women to not just be end users but to be distributors of um, solar energy products that's so true i remember one of our um top sales uh, agents at One Acre Fund down in Mulanje was uh, a woman that uh, I once observed uh, had the full attention of, it must've been 500 people uh, explaining how One Acre Fund worked. And she, had, <laughs> you know, not a single person was speaking. They were all looking at her and she didn't even have a microphone. I was just like blown away uh, by how she was able to capture uh, the hmm. imagination and, and uh, enroll so many households into the program that uh, that we were wor working on at the time. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing all these insights and opening up uh, and telling us uh, your story. And I know it's very early on in the story and I have enjoyed following uh, you on your journey so far uh, after crossing paths just a few years back. And uh, I look forward to uh, following as you continue to grow, and, and I'm excited to see the impact that you you have not only in Malawi but beyond. And yes, uh, I'm just so inspired by um, how serious you you take the role and and how much you kind of throw yourself uh, into into the work that you do. And I hope that you do find uh, your breaks and that they do work, uh, and that you are able to catch your breath so that uh, you can make this into a, a marathon and not uh, necessarily just a short-term sprint. So uh, let's do stay uh, in touch and um, thank you again for your time. Thank you so much, Chris. 
definitely a marathon and not a sprint. Um, the brakes will work at one point or the other. You just haven't reached for them yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I will. Amazing. I mean, I will. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Amazing. Bye, Cynthia. Thank you.